Thank you for taking the time to view this message online. You can connect with us more through our comments section of this video, through our Facebook page, or through our website, nhgj.org. In this third message uh, of our series about being a kingdom of priests, uh, we're continuing our focus on this idea that there are no spectators in the kingdom of God. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a disciple, uh, then you are a participant. Uh, we don't separate, more than we don't, God doesn't separate uh, clergy into laity. Uh, he doesn't separate those who are supposed to do or fulfill his purposes, and then those who get to be spectators. That, that's really not a mindset that we find in Scripture. We are all disciples who are then discipling others, leading others into the presence of God. There's no biblical framework for workers and then observers, uh, those who are just watching the work be done. And so we're all part of this kingdom of priests as followers of Jesus. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, this is Jesus' directive to the disciples, how he gives them instruction as to what they are to do. As he ascends into heaven, these are his instructions to the disciples. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am, all, I am with you always to the end of the age. So again, we are disciples who are making disciples. There wasn't an exception. There wasn't a group that Jesus said, now this group go and make disciples and you others just kind of go about your own business and uh, you're free to do whatever you want. You know, this, this directive that he gave, this, we call it the Great Commission uh, with, within the church, uh, this was directed at everybody, everybody who is going to be following him. This is what they were called to do. Uh, go and teach them to observe all that I have commanded you, and I am with you all the while that you're going to be doing it. Now, in many ways, this made this the official church activity. This is what the church is to be doing, baptism and discipleship. Uh, and, and these things, it's interesting because these things, oftentimes we look at things that should happen within a church building, within a church facility, but there's no directive by Jesus that these things have to happen in a church building. Uh, that's more of our mindset and the way that we think about them. No, Jesus, Jesus was talking to his disciples knowing that they would go all over the world and, and their modern world there in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and, and just everywhere out from there that they would be doing these activities, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching people to obey or observe everything that Jesus had passed along to the disciples. So again, these things don't have to happen in our time. They don't have to happen in buildings. In fact, they, they shouldn't just happen in buildings. Uh, they, can, they can happen all around the community and in, in your own homes, in, in my own home. So many folks that I know, when you talk about discipleship, they're willing, they're willing to make disciples, but they don't know how, or maybe they feel inadequate to make disciples. They feel, I don't have the training, or I'm not that good of, uh, good of a speaker. I, I can't, I'm not good at uh, doing presentations, something like this of recording a message and then sending it out on the web. So because we can't envision ourselves doing that, then we think, well, I guess it's just not for me. I'm not cut out to be a disciple-making follower of Jesus. But this type of interaction and, and what happens on Sunday mornings, 
that's not really the thing that Jesus was talking about. Again, the focus was on, on this, immersing people, baptizing people in the experience of knowing the Father, knowing the Son, and knowing the Holy Spirit, and then also helping them to observe or follow the things that they themselves had been taught. And so that's something that anybody can actually do, whether you're effective at presentations or you have all the right answers because you went to a Bible school or uh, you, you feel confident in, in everything that you teach or say. You know, those aren't the requirements that Jesus gave to us. It's not the instruction. So, so there's, again, there's this idea that many people feel that they're not adequate for this. They're, they're not capable of making disciples. But as we look at 1 Peter Chapter 2, again, we're going to turn back to that uh, focus. I want to be able to have us look at this, not through the lens of, are you good at presentations or speaking, but are you good at sharing the things that God has worked in your own life? So we're going back to 1 Peter chapter 2, and in that we're going to look at this idea of what it means to be a kingdom of priests. Uh, I'm going to outline for you this idea of what it is that we can do to walk into this idea of being a kingdom of priests. So again, those of you that oftentimes feel uncomfortable, maybe you feel like I'm not good at presentations, I'm, I'm not good at uh, talking with others about Bible stuff. Uh, there's two, two simple things, very clear things that you can do. They may not be incredibly easy for us, but they're very clear things that we can do that help us walk this out in being a kingdom of priests. And then, after this, a little later uh, in this time together, I'm going to lead us in a, in a time of communion. So as uh, we get started uh, into this, let's pray as we begin. Holy Spirit, we welcome you and we invite you to speak to us through the scriptures. We invite you to uh, address those areas in our life that we need to draw closer to Jesus Christ and to be conformed more to his image. And so, Lord, help us. Some of this is difficult in the sense that it's difficult to live out. It's easy to understand. It's difficult to put into practice. And so we pray for your power to help us to accomplish what we can't do on our own. And we thank you for your understanding and unveiling of uh, the scriptures to us. And may we walk fully in it as you lead us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, going back to 1 Peter chapter 2, I'm going to be reading from verses 9 through 17, and I'm reading for the, from the English Standard Version uh, translation. It says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor or as supreme, or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, 
but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Now, if I'm reading this correctly, the scripture is connecting my priestly role in God's kingdom to how I live in relationship to the world around me right now. So there's Peter, as he's giving this instruction, he's drawing a connection between how I would live as a priest in God's kingdom with how I live in the world and its culture in the moment. And so what does this mean for us? What, what are we to be practicing? Uh, how are we to be living as priests? So first of all, let me go back and revisit something I said in the previous message. And that has to do with what priests do. What is it that a priest is supposed to do? Well, first, a priest spends time in God's presence. Uh, a priest essentially leaves the world for at least a portion of time, pulls away from all the activity of the world around him or her, and spends time with God, spends time in God's presence. So that's the first thing that a priest would do. And then secondly, a priest represents God before others. So out of that time spent with God alone and in God's presence, a priest comes out of that presence of God or draws from that time of being with God and represents God then to those who are around him or her to show others what it's like to be in relationship with God. So this role as a priest in God's kingdom, we can really, again, get stuck in those ideas of, well, that's not me. I, a, a priest dresses in a robe. A priest uh, administers communion, does baptisms. A priest offers counsel for couples or whatever your thought or image might be of what a priest does. I, I want to encourage you, don't get hung up on what our cultural identity or ideas about what a priest does. I, I want to encourage you to stick to those two things. A priest is somebody who spends time with God and then represents God to those around him or her in, in, their, in their surroundings, in their community around them. And so now I told you just a, a little bit ago, I'm going to give you two practical ways that you can live out this priestly life. Because again, if, if I left it open, you might think, then what does a priest do? How do I do this? How do I live this out? Well, I, I actually have a, I have a couple of things, but they're not things that I've come up with. They're things that Peter has provided in this passage of scripture. Uh, he's given us two really clear uh, items that we can live out practically uh, in our lives that help us walk out or live out this priestly role. So here we go. The first thing that you can do to live as a priest in God's kingdom is that you live your life with your physical passions under control. Now, I said they're clear. They're clearly identifiable. I didn't say they were easy. I just said they were clear. Your, live your life with your physical passions under control. This is verses 11 and 12 of uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So let me be clear on this. It doesn't say live a passionless life. No, that's, that's not the directive that Peter gives here. It is to live a life with your personal passions, with the passions of your appetites and desires under control. 
So we are people that have great capacity to feel and to love and to be excited about things. And so absolutely, you should live a life of passion for God, a life that just allows the freedom and joy that you found in Jesus Christ to just come out of your life with great expression and great passion. But let me be clear of what Peter's saying here. He's saying your flesh, your body, your appetites, even your mind shouldn't have the freedom to just run and chase after whatever it wants, whatever without any type of control on it. And Peter clarifies and he says, the reason why is because the appetites of your flesh, your desires, and the appetites that your mind without any type of temperance to it can really pull you away from God. It can really wage war against what is happening within your soul. I'm uh, not one who would call myself an equestrian. Uh, I have ridden horses though. Uh, and so I understand a little bit about this idea of something that has great power and yet can be put under control. If you've ever ridden on a horse and gotten up on the saddle, you've, you've uh, taken the reins of a horse. And there's this odd dynamic that goes on when you sit on the back of a horse. You have this massive animal with great power that could really do whatever it wants. But as soon as that bridle goes, uh, that bit goes into the horse's mouth and you're holding those reins, you can, by pulling those reins, just simply holding on to that leather strap, you can pull that horse one way or the other. It's, it's an incredible feeling because you feel like you have this great animal with such control. And yet, for me, because I'm not real comfortable with it, it feels a little scary because you recognize that this animal has such great power and it could really just throw you off. It could do really whatever it wants, except that it yields to this bit that is in its mouth. I make this comparison because your flesh, the pas passions and your thought life, all of these things have great power to pull you one way or the other. But the Spirit of God within us has the ability, much like a bit, to actually give us authority and power over our own thinking and over our own bodies so that we don't just have to do and follow and live under whatever our passions tell us to pursue. The scriptures teach us, and, and just our own experience in walking in the Holy Spirit, leads us to understand that we can't just allow our thought life to go crazy and to do whatever, take our thoughts wherever they want to lead us. We can't just indulge ourselves in whatever passion we want. In fact, maybe you've been there or you know somebody who's been there who has taken that approach to life, whether it's through addictions, of drugs, of sex, of, of eating, whatever passion that person might have. And you find that it doesn't lead them to their soul being prosperous. It leads them to a degrading of their life. Relationships get easily broken that way. Uh, the, the feelings of hopelessness increase when passions are left unchecked. Confusion and, and, and difficulties just in clarity of our thinking can happen when we don't bring our thought life under check and under control. And so this is what Peter is pointing to. He says, if you want to live as a priest in God's kingdom, if you want to live out what it means to 
follow God uh, in, in his priestly calling on your life, he says one of the things that you can do very clearly, maybe not easily, but very clearly, he says you need to submit your body and your thought life under the control of the Holy Spirit. Put them under control and don't just let them do whatever they want to do. So that's, that's the first thing. The second way that Peter says that we are a kingdom of priests for God's kingdom, it's a little more difficult for us to live out just because culturally our upbringing pushes against this next thought. So to be clear, it's definitely possible and it's biblical, but it's just challenging. And so this is where it really causes us to rise up and say, am I going to push through in this discipleship process? And so here's this second one. I've kind of been building it up, and here, here it is. You'll understand why. It says, to be a priest in God's kingdom, you are to live your life showing honor to all and in submission to authorities. This is in verses 13 through 17. It says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants for God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. It's a lot, isn't it? It's challenging. I, I mean, Right now, I, I would encourage, you know, if you're watching this online and you have comments, add them to the comments uh, later in this, in this message because I would love to hear some of your thoughts about that particular passage because that one may be more than mo more any other. I mean, the previous one that I talked about in terms of living a, a life just uh, with passions and following your passions however you want, that's very much identified in our culture. And so that's a challenging one to live out. But as I'm reading this particular group of verses, I think maybe this is one that's almost more challenging in the sense that we are rugged individualists in the West. In the United States, it's our rights, it's our freedom. And, and so we're, we rejoice in that. I mean, we're excited that we're a free people. And yet here is Peter encouraging his listeners, live with a humility that you are following those who are in authority over you, not just church authority, not just God authority, but in human authority, live in those relationships. This is challenging. Uh, and so as I'm looking at this, I, I thought maybe there's an out. Maybe if I look at a different translation of these verses, then uh, verse 17 will say something else. So let me read to you verse 17 again, using a couple other translations. Again, I was reading from the English Standard Version. Here's the New International Version, NIV, verse 7. Uh, 17, show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. New King James Version, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. The King James Version, so this is what some people look back to and say this is the authoritative version. King James, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. It seems pretty clear there's some consistency here, that the life that we live is supposed to be lived in honor of all who are around us, to show honor to those that we're uh, related to, connected to in our community, uh, who we work with. It, it doesn't specify a specific group in isolation. It says honor all. 
Love the brotherhood, which is the relationships you have within the fellowship of the church. So show great love for those who uh, are in fellowship in the body of Christ. Fear God. So recognize God's authority as supreme, as above all others. But then that last one, honor the king, or in other translations, honor the emperor. I'm highlighting this consistency between these verses because in our thinking, it may seem inconsistent. Why is it that living as a priest would challenge us or encourage us to then live in relationship, in submission to those who are in earthly positions of authority? Why, when I'm talking about being a priest in God's kingdom, are we talk, uh, encouraged to live in harmony with human institutions? The reality is there, there isn't an inconsistency, but there is an encouragement to fully immerse myself into God's kingdom. I also need to understand what it lives, means to live in relationship to those in authority over me now. In God's kingdom, I, I'm not allowed to completely immerse myself in that kingdom and leave behind this kingdom and disregard it completely. In other words, here's, here's this point that I think Peter is calling us to. What I'm doing here on earth is preparing me for what I'm going to be doing in heaven above. Let me say that again just so there's some clarity because oftentimes we want to disassociate our life here from what's going to happen in heaven. And, and that's not at all a biblical mindset. We're citizens of heaven. We're sojourners on this life. But this life is preparing us for the life that we live with God. So what I'm doing here on earth is preparing me for what I'm going to be doing in heaven above. So let me really tie this idea together. If I'm having difficulty, if you're having difficulty submitting to authorities here on earth, Peter's saying you're going to have difficulty submitting to God's authority. Now, this again really challenges us because we think, wait, 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 I, I can submit to God. It's just that people I have a difficult time with. And that's not actually a biblical mindset. What the Bible teaches is if you can't so much as submit to a earthly authority who really has not a lot of power to begin with, how in the world can I expect, can you expect to submit to God's authority who has supreme control over all things? Peter's giving us this contrast and he's saying, if you have difficulty submitting to a, a simple little human law that doesn't demand really all that much of you, how are you going to submit to God's law, which asks everything of you? Peter essentially says, you're not going to. You're going to struggle with submitting to God if you are struggle with submitting to human authorities. And so Peter's saying, this is practice for you and I. This submitting to human authorities is our practice in what it means to live in God's kingdom, to be a priest in his kingdom. And again, I understand earthly rulers aren't God, but that's not Peter's point. Peter's saying, if you can't submit to an earthly ruler who has such little authority in the scope of God's kingdom, then how are you really going to live in submission to God himself? This is an amazing thing that Peter is teaching, and I'll tell you why it's so incredible, and it's so incredible that T Peter is the one teaching this. 
Because if you go back in Peter's life, it was Peter who was standing next to Jesus in the garden. When the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, they were preparing to crucify him. Peter was the one next to Jesus who he drew a sword and he cut off the servant of the high priest. Remember that Peter had this great idea. I'm going to defend Jesus against these soldiers so that he's not going to be taken away. Peter draws the sword, whacks off the ear of the high priest servant. And he's thinking, here it is. The kingdom of God is at hand. We're about to do battle. And I'm going to defend. I'm going to be on God's side, not the earthly uh, ruler's side. And so in doing this, he stands next to Jesus, thinking that he is, he is doing this work. The only problem is that that's not the way that Jesus saw it. Here were Jesus' words. He said, put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father, and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? <laughs> for reference, 12 legions would be like 60,000 angels. Peter is thinking he is defending the Lord by taking up the sword against earthly rulers. Jesus says, put your sword away. Don't you think that God has enough power and authority to handle this situation in any way that he chooses? Peter wants to stand by Jesus and, and be his defender against earthly rulers. Jesus says, this isn't the type of kingdom I'm running. And so the priests here of, of God are not defiant and rebellious. You and I, if we're going to be priests for God, we're not defiant and rebellious against earthly rulers. No, even the authorities of this world, Peter is saying, you are to walk in humble submission and humble relationship to those authorities uh, who you're in a relationship to. Peter, years later, now writing this letter, he passes along the instruction after he's lived this discipleship out in his own life. He says, don't get too concerned about the Caesars and the kings and the presidents and senators of this world. In this way, we're witnesses to another kingdom that we don't allow ourselves to get caught up and so bent out of shape about what they're asking us to do. We just quietly, humbly live our lives in submission, not violating God's law, but in submitting to them, we testify to a different kingdom that's taking place. Well, as you hear this, I know that's probably challenging. I know it is for me as well, but uh, I'm going to lead us in a time of communion. But before I do, I, I want to give you a couple items just for your reflection, and then we'll receive the bread and the cup. So the first one is... Before you receive the bread and the cup, before you identify as this priestly role and submit yourself, I want, to, I want you to ask yourself, have I been putting the passions of my flesh and the appetites and the way I think, have I put those under control, the authority of the spirit? Or have I been letting my body and my mind just kind of choose whatever it wants and not giving it direction? So I want you to think about that because the Spirit is capable of empowering you to put all of that under the authority of God so that you can continue to live a life full of passion, but passion for God and what his desires are for your life and not just the passions of your own flesh and your own thinking. Secondly, does showing honor to the emperor cause your fists to tighten up? Let me put a couple names before you. Clinton, Bush, Obama, Trump. 
How about local authorities? Do you find yourself wanting to reach for the, sh uh, the sword instead of showing humility? Do you find yourself wanting to raise up your fists and lash out against human authorities, believing that somehow you're honoring God and establishing his kingdom in this world by resisting human authorities? I want to maybe challenge that thinking a little bit before we receive communion, just as Peter challenges us in this passage. And he says, this is preparation for you to learn how to submit to God's authority, not to violate God's word, but to learn how to humble yourself, for me to learn how to humble myself and pray for and to lift up these authorities. Yes, even the ones you disagree with, even the ones that you don't think deserve to be recognized or to be prayed for. It is your calling as a priest of God to walk in humility of earthly authorities so that you can usher in or cause people's eyes to be turned towards a heavenly kingdom instead of being consumed with an earthly kingdom. So if you have your bread, if you'll hold it before you, I want to pray as we receive the bread and the cup. Jesus, we thank you for giving us your body to going to the cross to you yourself modeling this, showing this to us, that you put aside your own desires, your own passions, so that you could pursue what the Father asked you to do. You submitted yourself to earthly authorities who believed that they were fulfilling their own purposes, but in reality, they were fulfilling the Father's purposes for your life. That the crucifixion was not the overcoming of your life by human authority, but it was the power of God being displayed through your submission to what he wanted to accomplish. Lord, I pray that we would have the faith to believe that about ourselves, that when we're tempted to rise up and to lash out and to drop our fists and our own swords against human authorities, you'd help remind us, just as Peter does here, as he learned the lesson, so we would also learn the lesson that you can accomplish and you do accomplish your purposes through those human authorities, the positions, people put in position over us here in our local governments, in our state and federal governments. And so, Lord, that we don't have to fear that something is overtaking us, but that we can trust that we are walking out and be consumed with your kingdom more than the kingdoms of this world. We thank you for modeling that for us, Jesus, as we receive the bread, we remember your sacrifice, that it is enough for us, that you promise to be with us to the very end of the age. And in receiving the bread, we are reminded of that, that the grave did not hold you and you are with us through the end of the age. We thank you and we lean into your sacrifice for us in Jesus' name. Receive the bread. This cup of a new covenant, Lord, it is a covenant of grace and mercy. So I thank you, Lord, that when we don't get these things right, when we do allow the passions of our flesh to cause harm to our soul, 
that you don't leave us to ourselves, but you come with mercy and grace and forgiveness to help restore us, not at a lower state, but you restore us with the freedom that you purchased for us on the cross. We thank you for redeeming us, calling us out of the world, that we are sojourners, that we are just passing through this world. And so thank you for this cup of forgiveness, this cup of redemption that has changed us from a people who are consumed with the things of this world, who only see this as our end, to becoming now a people who are priests before you, who are ministering in your kingdom in this world, who have a different purpose than just living for ourselves in the now, but are living for a greater purpose here and now so that we can practice, put into practice the things that we're learning so that we can experience them fully in heaven above. We thank you for your shed blood. This cup that we receive reminds us that you gave it all for us. You held nothing back. And so, Lord, it is our commitment to live for you, not in our own authority and our own power, but submitted to you and serving you in this place. We do it by your grace and your mercy provided for us in this cup. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Receive the cup. Thank you for sharing this time together in the word. I do pray that some of these things that I've shared are difficult, so I do pray that you will lean into the Holy Spirit. He is faithful to guide you through those, these things. Uh, he's faithful to bring up areas in our life that need correction. And may each of us, myself, may you uh, also just submit yourself to his work and trust that he has a purpose in mind to fulfill God's purposes in our lives. God bless you and may his favor rest upon you. You can find more resources for this service at nhgj.org. Email us your prayer requests to prayer at nh4gj.org. If you are a new follower of Jesus, we have a free resource for you called Following Jesus. To receive a copy, send a request to info at nh4gj.org. If you would like to partner with our ministry through giving, you can do that online at nhgj.org giving or by mail to 641 Horizon Drive, Grand Junction, Colorado, 81506. Thank you for being with us and may the Lord bless you.